allow yourselves. And there, there, there are plenty of times when the devil is, is telling you that, it, that you're too weak and that you're just a failure and that you can't get it done and that it's too hard and that you should quit uh, and that it's not going to work and that you're just stupid for believing. Uh, and in those times, just keep on acting like you believe anyway. In those times when your emotions uh, and even your thought processes are working against you, just tell your yourself to keep acting as if you were 100% convinced that this is all... Because the devil is just trying to suck you down a big dark hole. You know, faith at its core is an action. Faith is an action. It's not a feeling. Hope is more of a feeling. Biblically, hope, the word is elpis, means to keep... That, that you are... You are convinced that something is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. That's what hope is. Looking forward to the time when something is going to happen. You know it's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but you know it's going to happen. So you base your actions on that hope. The actions are called faith. And faith is what we do because of what we have hoped in. Faith is what we do because of what we have heard from God. So even if right now your hope feels dim, if you keep doing what you know God has called you to do, doing what God has revealed to you to do, doing what God is encouraging you to do, even if you're like, I can't do this anymore, you do it anyhow and breakthroughs come. Because what is it? The devil only wants you to do one thing. What is it? Give up. That's all the devil wants you to do is give up. The devil doesn't necessarily want you to rob a bank. I mean, that he would, I mean, that would be an extra benefit. You decide you needed to rob a bank or start selling drugs or, I mean, or, or become a missionary to Africa when what he really wants you to be is a missionary to Granite Shoals. Anything, all the devil wants you to do is stop doing what you know God has told you to do and do something else instead. So it gives you all these lies and all this confusion. So you have to just keep choosing to act in faith because faith is an action. Uh, It's what you do because you're convinced something is true. All right? Amen? (laughs) Turn around and and look at somebody close to you. Look him right in the eye and says, He's talking to you. Okay, that was free. Um, this is upside down. All right, we're going to try to go really fast because this is kind of a lot to cover today. And some of it is like odd. We're, in, uh, we're still in Romans chapter 17. I mean, Acts. Yeah, the surprise. Ha ha. We're in Acts. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Uh, who's this? This awesome. You, raise, raise your hand if you know who this is. No. No. 
This is uh, Alfred E. Newman. Let's all say it together. Alfred E. Newman, who is the poster child for Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine was the uh, uh, kind of the epitome in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, kind of eventually petered out. But, but, but once upon a time, Mad Magazine it was the epitome, the source of all uh, scoffing, uh, um, satire, uh, uh, what? Yeah, before Saturday Night Live, you have to got it. You got it out of a comic book, got it out of a magazine. But uh, people who were too cool for school, uh, they know, they knew everything. Uh, the the cool kids, the smart kids, would carry it to school and get out of their desks and read it. And it was like, oh, you read that? Oh no! Uh, and it it was the the uh, where where intellectualism meets skepticism, uh, and everything is a joke and everything is funny. <clears throat> My favorite cover, which was, was, came out in the 70s, when I was in, like a senior in high school, um, there was a... Remember uh, the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey? Bum, bum, bum. Bum, 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 bum. Okay, so Mad Magazine did a satire on that called... Do you all remember that that was a really a long movie? Kind of like, when is this movie going to get over? I don't understand it and I'm tired of it. But anyhow, that Mad Magazine did a satire uh, called 2001 Minutes of Space Idiocy. Uh, but anyhow, that's like the spirit of this world. Uh, and it's even worse now than it was then. People are too, for, too, for, too cool for school, think they know everything about everything. Just keep that in mind as we move on. Uh, I want to remind you, we experienced uh, just what I would say uh, was a little ripple of the Holy Spirit this morning. And God showed up. God's been moving in your life all week, but it's just He got our attention this morning in a, a, a sort of a more noticeable way. But that's just a little ripple of what life in the Spirit is supposed to be. And this, is just, um, this is just sort of to, to uh, grease your skins a little bit um, because God wants to do so much more. He's planning to do so much more. He's moving in your life in ways that you don't even know yet. And you're going to look back uh, a couple of weeks from now or a couple of years from now and go, oh, yeah. So that's what was going on. That was God. I was good. So, but anyhow, the Holy Spirit, this is Acts chapter 1-8, in Jackie English translation. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to tell what you've experienced everywhere you go with miraculous results. I'm reminding you about this every day because, every Sunday, because, because every day you're not in church, you are out there where you can open your mouth at any time and, and speak a word about the Lord and tell your testimony, uh, not, not the testimony of back in aught six, but just tell what God is doing in your life today. Like what would, uh, Laura has a kind of a testimony that's really, really fresh, right? Uh, 25 words or less, it is what?
That's right. That's right. Yay! That's right. <laughs> Yay, God. Let's all say that. Yay, God. All right. And there's, if you know Laura's longer story, then you know how amazing the last, the, the fingerprints of God in her life the last two weeks at a time when she should have known what was going to happen. <laughs> All right, so so those are the stories you tell to people. You don't necessarily have to, well, I was, uh, you just tell your story. Whatever is true that God is doing with you right now, wherever you go, you just tell that story. Uh, and even though you don't think it's a big deal, it may be a big deal to somebody else, and it may just open a door for the Holy Spirit to touch them. So the Holy Spirit's going to give you the ability to tell what you've experienced with miraculous results. That Don't forget that. And then this is the way Paul started, when, he, when Paul started preaching the gospel in, uh, in the book of Acts, and, and we just have these little excerpts from it because it's actually like three pages in, in the Bible where he, t- he tells the whole history of Israel and everything that happened and all the prophets and all the kings and then in the life of Jesus and then finally Jesus being crucified. But he sums it up with this. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Turn around to somebody and say, Listen, your sins are forgiven. Every last one of them. Your sins are forgiven. Every last, every last one. Now, now turn back to the other person and say, The sins that you are going to commit tomorrow, already forgiven. In the name of Jesus. All right? Okay. Your sins are forgiven through Jesus. And if you... For everybody who believes in him is freed from all things from which all the years of trying to keep the rules and to do better and try harder could never set you free from. But Jesus has set you free from him by his grace, by the power of his spirit. That's God's plan. And that's what Paul started preaching. The law, of, he specifically says all the things that the law of Moses could not free you from. And why did he say the law of Moses? Why did he specifically say... the God has freed you from all the things that the law of Moses could not free you from. Why did he say it that way? Because who was in bondage to the law? That's right. He was, this is the way Paul preached the gospel when he went into the synagogue and preached to the Jews. He started with, with Old Testament history, ripped all the way through it, told them that Jesus was the Messiah, the coming king, uh, who was now ruling all the world, and they were set free, they were redeemed, and all that. Uh, but, oh, that's the wrong button. <laughs> and then he said, continue in the grace of God. Jesus has done all this for you, and he wants to keep doing stuff for you. Just keep on trusting him. Just keep on trusting him. Just keep on believing. Uh, but... This is what he preached to Jewish audiences. And he would start with Jewish audiences, and then God would show up and do amazing, incredible things, and then uh, off you go. Uh, Maybe it would kind of ripple out of that and get into the general city. But what if you have to start with an audience that's not Jewish? Um, Okay, so... uh, Paul is now in Athens, which is kind of right here. Um, there. Um, 
He's started over here, and now he's gone to all these Greek cities over here, and now he's in Athens. Let's catch up with him. Uh, the recent events were he went to Thessalonica, turned the city upside down, freaked everybody out. They figured out that he was preaching about a new king that wasn't Caesar. They all got upset with him. Some people got saved, but some, then people chased him out of town. They chased him to Berea. Uh, a lot of other people got saved um, from hearing his message. Uh, but then the Jews of Thessalonica, Thessalonica came to Berea, chased him out of, out of Berea, and they chased him all the way to Athens. Um, they, they Ubered him from Berea to Athens, and they left him there. They dumped Paul out by himself in Athens, and then they went back home. He said, you know, tell Timothy and Silas uh, to, come, to get here as, as soon as they can. But in the meantime, he was stuck in the middle of Athens by himself. I don't know whether he'd ever... I, I assume he's probably been to Athens before because he's a kind of worldly guy. And, and he, was, he was from just across the GNC from Athens. Uh, but Athens... Remember I told you last time that Rome uh, is kind of like a combination of New York City and Washington, D.C. Like a, the, the seat of government and the seat of finance. Uh, and Corinth was like going to Vegas. It's like Corinth was like going to Vegas. Uh, Athens was like a combination of Boston and San Francisco. Super smart people. They know more than anybody else. The philosophers, the cutting edge uh, thinkers, um, that they were all uh, in Athens. And they, they had, Athens had been, Athens was the seat of democracy. Athens was the seat of philosophy. Athens was the, the seat of know-it-allism. Can we, can we say it that way? For 600 years, Athens uh, was, was the cradle of Western civilization. Anything that became a thing in Western civilization for the next 2,000 years started in Athens. So, so significantly so that when, when Romans conquered the, the known world, they pretty much left Athens alone out of their respect for the fact that uh, Athens was uh, really... The, they just stole most of the stuff from Greeks and they recycled it. Um, so they pretty much left Athens alone to just be whatever they wanted to be. So now Paul is dumped off and he's in Athens... Uh, by himself, uh, and, and so even though he's by himself and he's waiting for people to come see him, he's walking around Athens and, and he sees nothing but idols everywhere. Um, the, the most pagan city, uh, eclectically pagan city in the world. Uh, and so he starts talking to people. He, he, tries, he talks to some Jews uh, and some Gentiles, and he goes into the marketplace. He's just talking to anybody he can find. He talks to, to Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. I'm not going to go into that again. Uh, but he was, <coughs> they thought, so who is this idle babbler? That's actually a, 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 a term 
how that they used to poke fun of people who, who came up to Athens and tried to talk about stuff, but they just looked stupid and didn't know what they were talking about. So it's an actual uh, pejorative turn to make, to, to make fun of those people. He seems to be proclaiming strange deities because he was talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. All right. Uh, so, so they said to him, this was from last week, they took him to this place called the Areopagus, which, was, which is, you know, it's translated in English as Mars Hill. There was a great, it was a temple to the god Ares or, or the god Mars up there. But it was also uh, <coughs> a big court where they tried murder cases and where they settled other arguments. And when anything that big that needed to be hashed out in Athens, they went to Mars Hill, Areopagus, to discuss it. And there was a court, an actual court, that sat there, the, the wisest men who all sat there eating barbecue and listening to people talk and making their opinions known. Uh, and they said, we want to know more about this. Tell us about this. <coughs> you don't have any idea what you're talking about. <coughs> and Athenians uh, used to just spend all of their time, waste all of their time, talking about stuff that's new. What's the newest crazy thing? Um, <coughs> no Facebook. No Instagram, no 24-hour cable news cycle. They had to t- actually they had to actually talk, but turns out they still talk about the same stuff. <clears throat> they still are gossiping about people and gossiping about the new stuff. Whatever's the newest thing. What's new? <coughs> what's the buzz? What's the buzz? What's that? That's a song, isn't it? Tell me what's happening. What's that from? That's right. That's right. <clears throat> All right. So that was last week. Here we are now. Here is the sermon. <clears throat> because eventually, Paul technically gets hauled up in front of the court at Mars Hill. The, <clears throat> this panel of judges that listens to people pitch their new ideas. It's sort of like a pagan version of Shark Tank. You, could, you just show up, you pitch your, and then they decide whether they buy it or not. Um, but that has to be vetted. If you're going to be allowed to preach and wander around on Mars Hill, you have to get like a permit. And he had to come and he had to pitch this to all the judges up there. All right, so here we go. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens... I observe that you are very religious in all respects. This is not flattery because there are rules about appearing in front of the court. And you could not use flattering language in an attempt to influence the court when they were listening to you. So this is just an observation. I'm just, Paul was basically standing there saying, I've never seen so many idols in my whole life. You have a lot. You, you people have a lot of idols here. This word religious can also be used, can also be translated as superstitious, by the way. Um, so maybe that's what he was saying as you guys are so, you guys are just really superstitious. But anyway, he said, I've noticed that you are very religious in all expect, respects because while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, and there were bunches of them everywhere, I also found an altar w- with this inscription, to an unknown God. There's a funny story about that. Four or five hundred years earlier, there was a plague in Athens. And whoever was the smartest guy in Athens back in those days, 
<clears throat> so we've got, to st- we've got to pray to all the gods that we know anything about. We've got to... Uh, <clears throat> um, but they practice a form of divination, which is they got a bunch of black and white goats. They turned them loose in the city. And they said, no, it, go to wherever the black and white goats decide to lie down. And whatever idol is closest to that, where, that where, a, where a goat lies down, that, that's the God of the day that we should pray to. But if the goat lies down somewhere where there's not an idol, then we need to build an idol and dedicate it to an unknown God that we forgot about, that we just didn't know about. Uh, we never heard of this God, but obviously the goat, <laughs> 150 black and white goats can't be wrong. <laughs> and so if, they, if the goat lies down, go build an altar there. And even though Paul is talking here about, hey, I, I found an, an idol to an unknown God, there were actually more than likely a whole bunch of idols that said to an unknown God. And they've just been sitting there. So... That just sounds weird to me. Does that sound weird to y'all? It sounds weird to me. So, but then Paul says, he goes on to say, therefore, why you have been worshiping in ignorance because you don't even, you're just kind of, you're talking to a rock, first of all, but, and you're saying it's an unknown God. You, so the news I have for you is you're not wrong. There is a God that you have been missing for the last five or 600 years. I'm here to tell you about that God. There is only one God. You've got all these little rock things and temples and stuff built all around here. And this is so much simpler and so much easier than you thought. There's only one. There's only one. This is the, and this God made the world. He made all the things in it. He's the Lord of heaven. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. This... So, so this is a big deal, and uh, he's confronting Greek philosophy here. Whether you're an Epicurean or a Stoic or anywhere in the middle, uh, Greeks had a hard time. Greeks acknowledged that there was some big, gigantic, all-encompassing life force up there somewhere, but he's so powerful and so remote and so hard to understand that he would never, ever, ever get involved with anything approaching humans or, or even matter. He's like, he's, there's a God, there's a force out there somewhere, but he doesn't have any contact, really, interaction with the universe or especially with people. So there are other gods, uh, many gods called demiurges or demiurgos. And the big supreme force created this role of second-class gods, and the second-class gods were actually the ones who created things and interacted with creation, interacted with people. So Paul just blows that whole thing out of the water. He says, <clears throat> he doesn't need any help from you. He, he, he's, he is the one who created. He's not a demigod. He's not a demiurge. He is the one God who created everything. And wait... He, he doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need little houses. He doesn't need rocks and stuff sacrificed on them. He doesn't need anything. And wait, there's more. He made from one man 
every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having to, and this is the closest he gets to talking anything about uh, Hebrew religion. It's, this is a reference to Adam here, but he doesn't go into any details about it. <laughs> he just says he, he took one man and created the entire, all the nations of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So this God is so involved. He's the farthest thing from being uninvolved. He is so involved that he has stipulated all the boundaries and definitions of, and the appointed times for your life. He is involved and aware and working in your life in every way possible. He, he did all of this for you so that you would, so that they would seek him. He wants to be known by you. You're, you're thinking that God is up there somewhere. He doesn't care about a thing. He doesn't care about you. And he has little midget gods running around doing his dirty work for him. And he's just off there somewhere doing nothing. But he, he's defined the boundaries of your life because he wants you to seek him. He's put a hunger in your lives for him and he wants you to seek him. Maybe you're maybe groping, maybe, I mean, so I know you're blind, and I know you've been trying, and I know you've been doing your best, and that's okay, uh, but, uh, but he, he wants you to find him, and he's not far from each one of us. Then, check this out. For in him we live and move and exist, and as even some of your own poets have said, for also we are his children. Now, I have to stop and and just point out something here that uh, was kind of new information to me. There's two references here. The one is, for in him we live and move and exist, or, or have our being. Remember that song? In him we live and move and have everybody. So, so, that was a great song. Uh, and you hear lots of great sermons on the, that this is how encompass, all-encompassing our relationship is with God. We could, not, we could not exist. We live in Him. We move in Him. We exist in Him, with Him, for Him, because of Him. Now, this is all even before anybody has met Jesus. This is, before, this is pre-salvation. And the, we all live and move and have our being because of Him, for what He's done. If it weren't for Him, we would have nothing. And some of your own poets have even said, we are also his children. But this phrase here, you might think it was a clever uh, line that Paul thought up. Both this phrase, live and move and exist, and for we also are his children, are both quotes from famous Greek philosophers. And so Paul was making an attempt to reach back. This whole sermon, he is making an attempt to reach back into their culture, into their theology, into their philosophy, and connect the dots so they, they can see through Greek eyes what it is, who he is, and who God is. Trying really, really hard to get their attention. Um, he's still going on. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. So, so I've just told you how awesome God is. Do you really think 
that he cares about gold or silver or stones or stuff like that. Uh, an image formed by the art and thought of man that you could make a picture of him and it would do anything. Uh, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, which is like up to now forever, <laughs> overlooking all of, of your ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. That's right. So let me just I'm put a little parenthesis here. Most, of, most, of, most people think that repenting means uh, to feel really, really, really sorry for your sins and promise God that you'll never do it again. So how, does, how well does that work, first of all? Have you ever been to church? I'm not, I know this has not happened to anybody in this room. But I have known it to happen that somebody will come up and be under conviction and come in. They'll, they'll confess and they'll cry and they'll ask for prayer and they'll repent. I say, I'm repenting and I'm promising God that I'm sorry and I'll never ever do this again. And then three weeks later... <clears throat> they come back and they just do the same thing again. I'm not saying that that doesn't mean God isn't working in their lives, but that's not repentance. Promising God, saying to God, I'm sorry for my sins and I promise I will never do it again, that is not repentance. Repentance in Greek means, it's metanoia, it's two two different syllables stuck together, uh, that mean a change of mind, which changes your direction. Repentance means change what you think, change what you believe. And when you change what you believe, it will change your direction. Repentance means stop believing what you used to believe. You know, Jesus, the very first sermon Jesus preaches in Mark chapter 1, he shows up and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That literally, he said, repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. So, so what Jesus was saying, stop believing what you used to believe and believe the gospel instead. And that's what Paul is saying. God is saying it's time to stop believing all of this ridiculous nonsense that you used to believe and believe the gospel instead. Put your faith in Jesus instead. That's what repentance means. It means a change of mind that changes your direction, that changes your heart, that changes everything. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Ooh, this is the other thing that comes closest to being a Hebrew concept. Hebrew con- Hebrews, the, the Greeks didn't have any concept of judgment. They didn't really have any concept of a creator God. They definitely didn't have any concept of, of a judging God. They just, they, they thought most of their, their little demigods like Zeus and Ares and Athena were just s- stupid, lazy drunks who just had all their... that got, got off on coming down to earth and messing with people. <clears throat> um, most of the philosophers were... Uh, most Greek philosophers were embarrassed by the way their gods behaved. <clears throat> they especially didn't expect that there was going to be any judgment day from anybody. So Paul is saying, this God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And he's going to judge them through a man that whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Everybody make, the, make a record scratching sound right now. One, two, three. Okay? You know what that record scratching sound is? <clears throat> the, the Greeks were kind of following along with him 
until he said this last thing, raising him from the dead. It was like, wait, what? Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Like, <laughs> blah, uh, I told you, he, don't listen to him, he's a goofball. Uh, and they just turned and walked away. Others said, hmm, well, that's weird. I'll have to think about that some more. They turned and walked away. So Paul just left, he just walked out. But some men joined him, and they believed, among also whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite. So let's say that together. Let's all say that together. One, two, three. Dionysius, the Areopagite. Who are you going to be for Halloween? I'm going to be Dionysius, the Areopagite. <coughs> the, uh, most scholars say that this guy was actually, because of his designation as an Areopagite, Hmm? he was probably one of, one of the judges somebody on the judges panel and then a woman named Damaris who they assume was probably one of the God fearers from the Jewish synagogue because Greek women were not allowed to appear on the Areopagus it was just for the men of the city so the Greek women would know to never go up there uh, Anyhow, but most of the people that said, next, 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 move along. For the Athenians, religion was a game for entertainment, was a debate or, or debate because for them, gods were, were only a benign force at best or... Uh, Maybe just a joke. Certainly not engaged in any personal way with this world. For the Greeks, life was all about either intellect or pleasure. <clears throat> intellect or pleasure. Intellect. There's no central core value systems that uh, they could agree on. Certainly no theology they could agree on. Just intellect or pleasure. Um, and this notion that there could be a supernatural God who cared about anything and got involved in any way in society was completely like beyond mind-blowing to them. It just never occurred to them. Does that sound anything like our society today? I'm just wondering about that. Uh, they laughed at babblers like Paul, who would even suggest that God is personal, sovereign, loving, and just. It, it just, their brains could not get around it. Uh, so after 600 years of being the smartest guys in the room, it turns out that their hearts were two sizes too small. And their brains are too full of worldly opinions to be sensitive to or interested in the voice of God. They were of all the cultures, all the cities that Paul preached in, the most inoculated against the gospel. And he packed up and left. Probably didn't stay. As soon as Paul and Silas got there, I mean, as soon as Silas and Timothy got there, they got on the bus and they went. Here's how bad it was. They would rather be in Corinth than in Athens. And they went straight from Athens to Corinth. And as far as we know, Paul never went back to Athens. And as far as we know, uh, nothing much ever happened in Athens after that. So what happened? What happened that day? <clears throat> nothing. He never went back. 
there wasn't actually any kind of a thriving church in Athens. There was some little stuff going on, but not wasn't a thriving church in Athens for 300 years. When, when uh, the, the emperor declared that the entire Roman Empire was Christian, then finally Christians in Athens got some traction and, and, and started building churches and growing. But, <coughs> but Paul never wrote any letters to, to the Athenians. Um, he, even though it was one of the biggest, most influential, influ- all of the other major influential churches in the cities in the world had churches that Paul visited and he wrote letters to. He completely cut off Athens or they completely cut him off. One way or the other, nothing ever happened there. Uh, why? Maybe it's God's timing. Maybe it was a lack of intercessory support because he was alone. I mean, he was literally alone. There wasn't a matter of t- or two or three, or, or there I'm in the midst and I can pray. He had nobody to pray with him. He was just wandering around like a tourist, stopping strangers on the street, trying to talk to them about Jesus. But he was by himself, so maybe he just didn't have appropriate prayer covering. Uh, certainly, because of the history of that city, hearts were harder and minds were completely closed. Um, but here's another thing. Paul's strategy in Athens changed. Paul's approach to proclaiming the gospel was different than any of the other cities that he went to. <clears throat> Uh, he didn't, as far as we can tell, he didn't lead with any form of the Antioch Declaration. He tried the Athenian approach. He tried to translate the gospel into the terms that he thought the Athenians would understand. He tried to collect high points of, of the gospel as he understood it to handholds in their Athenian philosophy and Athenian religion. He tried to, to help them to see that his information was going to explain their religion. And <coughs> he appealed to their intellect. He tried to reason with them and it fell flat. The Holy Spirit, there's, there's no indication that the, the power of God was expressed or released and the sermon that he preached at Athens like it was anyplace else. Again, um, it's a lot of it's just speculation because there's all, of, unfortunately, all of the videos of his sermons were lost in the great fire of uh, 425. So we don't really know what happened. We just know the results. But there is one other, one other clue, and this is controversial. I don't know if you've ever heard me say anything controversial before, but this is controversial. When they left and went to Corinth, Paul appears to have learned a lesson. As you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, when I came to Corinth, I determined I would know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, I didn't try to engage you with clever arguments of, of of men and wisdom. I didn't try to impress you with my speaking skills, which was all he had to work with on Areopagus, was to try to keep up with the big-time orators. 
and make the big-time philosophical speeches. <clears throat> by, by the time he gets to, to Corinth, he's made a decision. From now on, I'm only going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm only, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to show up. I'm done with trying to impress people. I'm done with trying to sound smarter than, uh, as smart as they are because their wisdom, this is also a quote from 1 Corinthians, their wisdom is just foolishness. They they think we're foolish ones, but they're foolish. Uh, So, um, that's that's a, a long journey to get to a simple point. You're not going to win arguments with people. When you're sharing the gospel with them, you are not going to bring people to Jesus. You're not going to bring people to Jesus anyhow. Can we agree with that? You are not going to bring people to Jesus. Whose job is it to bring people to Jesus? The Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so if you're, if you're investing yourself and trying to be a great debater or, or studying lots of... Studying books on apologetics is, is fine. I mean... Uh, the, the Josh McDowell series of books called Evidence that Demands a, a Verdict. Those are wonderful. You can learn a lot of stuff from it. You can share those books with people. But in the end, if you think that you're just going to sit down and have a heart-to-heart talk with somebody and, and I'm going to explain this, then I'm going to explain it again. I'm going to keep on explaining it. I'm going to explain and explain and explain and explain and explain. And finally, you'll agree with me that I'm right and then you'll get saved. doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit moves when you tell your story. When you tell your story, when you point to the resurrected Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up. And that's when God moves. So if you're trying to win arguments, you may, some people may just stop talking to you. Um, Some people may say, okay, 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 you're probably right. Can we move on? Uh, You may even talk to some people into saying prayers just to show you up. Um, but it's when the Holy Spirit shows up when you tell your story something that you can authenticate that was real for you and the Holy Spirit shows up uh, you point to Jesus and let Jesus do the rest Um, even as we'll see starting next week hell holds like Corinth can be one for Jesus Okay, let's bow for prayer. I'm going to ask you to think about somebody that you know and love who isn't saved or who has wandered really far away. And I want you to think of all the times you've tried to reason with them and talk to them and beg them and encourage them and uh, all the sleep that you've lost trying to figure out how can I reach this person, how can I reach these, these people maybe. And I want you to... I want you to make yourself and God a promise right now that you're going to stop that. And take all of that time and energy and love and urgency and just start praying for them that God would give you an opportunity to just tell your story. Tell your story and let him show up. Let God win the argument. Let God win their hearts. Just pray, continue to pray, continue to ask God to bless them. Just start with, instead of praying prayers of criticism,
pray prayers of blessing over them. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to give you opportunities to physically bless them. And ask God to give you opportunities to simply tell your story so he can do, and let him do the rest. Father, we repent right now of all the things that we thought we could do instead of letting you do your job. We ask in Jesus' name right now that you would get, release a fresh anointing in our hearts, a fresh anointing of intercession, a fresh anointing of warfare, that we would become effective intercessors for the people that you put into our lives and let you do the rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let me tell you something real quick um, before we move on to communion. Um, we're, we're so, th- just can't tell you how blessed I am to have Mike and Susie in my life right now. Um, and Mike is a wonderful preacher. He's a wonderful soundboard guy. Uh, and, uh, but I've, I've asked Mike and Susie to sort of take over praying with people at the end of church on Sunday morning <clears throat> because um, we've had sort of an ad hoc way of doing it, just saying to people, if you, if you need prayer, come down and somebody will be here to pray with you. But Mike and Susie are going to take over that job of, of interceding for people and maybe put together another team, so it's just not by themselves. But, for, but uh, as, even though we've had a wonderful experience of prayer and, and uh, worship this morning, if you still have a particular need, uh, no matter what it is, when we finish communion and we dismiss, Mike and Susie are just going to be right here and, and they're going to be ready to pray for you. Um, now, you can't get too much prayer anyhow, right? Because uh, we want to make sure that, that, that you, everybody here has a chance to get a personal touch from God if, the, if they need it. Not, not leave the same as when they came, all right? So now we can... Mike, I'm just going to stay on this microphone.